This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Welcome to Season 7 of Planted. In taking a look at the shorter epistles of Paul, today we begin with his letter to Philemon. Hello everybody, this is Pastor Matt Grimm. I'm here once again with Thad Keenel, and we're bringing you the Planted Podcast. How are you doing, Thad? I'm doing well and I'm looking forward to today's uh, episode. Uh, you said we're going to talk about some of these shorter epistles? Yeah, yeah. So we're starting a new season and Thad was asking me what I wanted to do and I was, you know, praying and thinking about it and I thought, uh, what if we covered the, you know, kind of what some some people could say are the neglected books of the New Testament <laughs> or really they're just the shortest um books of the New Testament. They're they're really really brief letters is what right. they are. And so uh we thought we might spend some time looking at Philemon, which is really a, a fascinating a letter, and a lot of people put it in association with Colossians, um, as it was likely carried at the same time. The letter to, to Colossae was was uh, carried uh, from Paul to to that area, and it, and it was also supposed to be read like in Laodicea and just a little bit regional as well there too. And and so, um, and did, so I, you, did I read it right that it, this is one of the letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison? Then yeah, it's one of his prison letters. And so again, there's debate: was he in Rome yet, or was he in writing from Ephesus? Because he was in prison both places. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the debates. And it comes it comes up here from two is how far had Onesimus fled, <laughs> which is is one of the issues here. But then we'll also maybe take some time at Second and Third John. We'll look at those, which are each one little short chapter, even shorter than Philemon. And um, I think Philemon's 25 verses, and those are all like each like 15 or 16 or something. And then we'll also, uh, kind of the last one we'll cover is the book of Jude, which is also just one chapter, but it is just, that one's chocked full with all kind of interesting things. Oh yeah, sure is. <laughs> and so we, who knows how long we'll take on that. But I think today, we, we won't get through all the way through Philemon today. I think we could spend a couple weeks, maybe even three on Philemon. And then we'll look at Second and Third John, which I think is very interesting uh, in terms of currently our, we're recording this in February of 2024, and our, our current uh, preaching series is in First Corinthians, and the first part of that we're talking about divisions in the church, and it's interesting that Second and Third John are related to that. Yeah, so it's interesting that the books of Second and Third John are dealing with, you know, one is, is probably dealing more with some false teaching that's causing problems, and then another one is someone who's causing division in the church, you know, too. Uh, but, but then, and then uh, Jude is, is, again, well, we'll get to it when we get to Jude. It's its own animal in some ways. But, it, <laughs> but it's really interesting, especially as it deals with, it has some interesting passages in there um, that refer to, you know, the spiritual beings, and also even uh, quoting some uh, extra biblical, extra biblical second temple work, type sec stuff. Yeah, so so we'll get into that when we get there. But today we're going to go uh, uh, start with Philemon, and and since it is short, you know, just one, just twenty five verses. I thought, even though we're, we're probably only from a discussion standpoint, maybe get through the first seven verses. That'd be good to just read the entire the entire letter. Absolutely. Uh, and so again, just a little background here. It, it's. Uh, Paul writing, and he says, with Timothy, our brother. So Timothy is with him, um, and Timothy, as you know, he eventually is entrusted with the church of Ephesus later on by Paul. So when you read First and Second Timothy, we see that, that Timothy is, is left in charge of that church in Ephesus. And so he's with Paul right now, so that's why some people might think, is, is you know, was he in prison in Ephesus at this point, because Paul's in prison, or is he in, in Rome? At, towards the end of his life. And that affects the dating, depending on when you think. Because if he's in Ephesus, it's probably the late 50s. Um, and then if it's if it's um, Rome, it's probably more uh, mid-60s that he's writing this. Okay. So uh, here we go. Uh, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, this is the ESV, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you? both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask for your help as we come to your word. We pray for your spirit to guide and direct our discussion and help us enjoy the fellowship of your spirit uh, as we uh, look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so you know, just the situation here is Paul's in prison, as we mentioned. Timothy's with him. He, he, he mentions others that are with him. Epaphras, if we remember our season in Colossians, Epaphras is the founder of the church in Colossae. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul knows and, and he hears about it and he's actually with Paul now, right? And, and so um, so we have all these relationships that he's drawing on. So, so one of the interesting things about this letter is Paul is highly influencing this whole discussion through this word koinonia that we know is, is often translated as fellowship. But here it gets translated more in the sense of partnership or sharing. So here in verse 6, he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. And when we think of sharing of our faith, we might think of, oh, this is their witnessing, right? We Sharing our faith. But it's actually, you know, it's, it's in this collective sharing that we, we haven't, we're in this together. It's this togetherness that he's talking about. It's the word koinonia. And then later on in verse um, 17, when he says, I consider me your partner, again, this is koinonon, uh, which is a form of koinonia. Uh, and that word, uh, the root word there is, is koinonos. Um, and so it's just interesting to think about that as an overall overarching repeated idea that is kind of the, one of the flavors we have throughout the whole thing here. So speaking of the relationship within the body of believers then? Yeah. Yeah. So because it, what's another interesting thing about this is we, we often point out, you know, that in a lot of Paul's letters, when we read the you, it's a you all, it's, it, it's right. plural. But here it's not. Most of these are, are the second person singular. So he's writing to Philemon personally in, in, as a singular, but he's referencing all these other people. And even in this first part, he says it's to Philemon, but he also includes Aphia, which is a lot of scholars would say that's probably his wife, okay, and, and Archippus, which they believe would be their son, 
Okay. Oh, all right. Uh, that that's they don't know for sure, but that's what they're thinking. And he calls them this these fellow soldiers, or um, the word there for soldier is uh, sestratitos, uh, um, which could be um, you know it, it could also just be kind of fellow laborer in some senses, but it often has this more sense of of, of a soldier. Um, but it says the church in your house. That's that's right? that's kind of where I was going. So whether or not this is um, his spouse and child, yeah. we are looking at the community of believers with in the house. So kind right. of a small um, home church type it's setup a home church. as it's as it's going to be growing and right in these times. Most of the churches were house churches, right? And and this is this is now whether there were multiple house churches in Colossae, you know, we don't know, but. You know, was Epaphras is gone, so now is like was Philemon always hosting this church that Epaphras started? Mm-hmm. We don't know, but Epaphras is now gone, and so is Philemon now kind of the leader with Epaphras being with Paul. You know, so and it's uh, not necessarily saying that there's only ten people that attend there on a on a Sabbath. It could be the idea that people are coming from all around the surrounding areas. We could have you know fifty people, for example. Yeah, and Philemon was was probably a person of means, mm-hmm. so he he likely does. I mean, he has. Um, he has slaves, which we'll get into that. You know, time and what that means. It doesn't. Don't think North American African slave trade right. type of slavery. It's it's a whole different animal. I mean, though there are there could be certain situations where some man or woman or child was trafficked, as we use the word like human trafficking now, who was you know basically almost like you know kidnapped or or lost their life in a war or something like that and right this so yeah. this when we see this type of word slave it doesn't carry the stigma of yeah he's a bond servant right. it says and so a bond servant you could sell yourself with a debt right. you know uh, and and then go to work for their household to pay that off right uh, and so it could be something as as formal as that um, it, it could be uh, there there are multiple things but in that Time in history, especially in the Greco-Roman world and the Roman Empire, some estimates are that thirty to forty percent of the humans in the empire were in some form of slavery, and so they was this is that's just how they made their means really. Yeah, that, them, that's yeah. how the world worked. It would be like if you took away slavery. Some some argue if you took away slavery in in the Greco-Roman world, it'd be like turning off the electricity in North America. <laughs> I mean that—that's right. how much it would impact the economy and just the way things. There's work. a much different relationship that comes along with that, and the same means that Paul says that he's a slave of Christ at times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Paul uses that same term, bond servant, with his relationship to Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's very interesting to consider that. I mean, if you think about it, just in terms of owing a debt, right? We owe our our, our whole life our a debt to Christ that He pays for us, and so we're his bonds we're we're bond servants to him because he takes that force and that'll actually come out as we hear Paul's plea later on we'll probably get to that in the next episode but it's interesting to just consider that um like right now technically I'm a bond servant uh because I have a mortgage to my bank uh, for my house mm-hmm. and so I have a legal bond to the bank that I owe them for for my house and, and so now, now I'm a free man. I, you know, they they can't come and make me do whatever they want me to do. You know, so I have more rights than I had. Right, but you than, can't sell your house and take all the cash. Right, right. It's no, I, I have to. There, I have to pay them debt. back. There right, and debt. if I don't, I I could go to jail. Right, right. You could become Legally. a real slave. <laughs> I could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um. So yeah. Now it's interesting too. Back to Philemon and, and the fact that being a person of means, he. he uh, I I if I'm trying to look this up again, but I I'm pretty sure that his name means influence, or is kind of related to like some have an affectionate one, but but also one who has influence with uh, as well uh, uh, that I've seen. And so it's, does, does uh, his name carry the word um, phileo, almost like a brotherly love yeah. type scenario? Uh-huh. Do you think? Yeah, it, 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 I think it is related potentially to that. I just looked up the quick um, translation yeah. of it, and it says "one who kisses." So there's there's got to be some affection yeah, associated. Yeah, yeah. So with I think that. it is. Yeah. yeah, one 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 of affection. But all to say, he's a person of influence in the church, and he's likely a person of means in um, as well. So with that, we we see that he is. 
Paul's going to be appealing to him on various levels, but, but all as it relates to his relationship with, with Christ. And so, um, and, and he kind of has his standard greeting as he would other, even the corporate letters he writes to the churches, right? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so we see that, that that standard part is there. And then just like his other letters, he starts off thanking God for just like you would thank God for the church in Ephesus or thank God for the church in Colossae, he thanks God when he remembers you. And here the you is singular, okay? So he's saying, I, I thank God for you, Philemon, in my prayers, um, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Now, that the, that phrase or that wording of thankfulness, you'll find it very similar in, in his letter to the Colossians. Mm-hmm. So if we go to Colossians one, and look at the way he introduces that prayer for the Colossians, uh, we'll find that it's very similar. And so he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Okay? And then I think the same thing, it's very similar in Ephesians, when we jump down to the end of chapter 1, and we see that when he thanks God for them, He's, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus in verse 15 and the love for you have for all the saints. I don't cease to give thanks for you. He just puts the thanks at the end there. Right. Right? So when I think about the, this, what he is thanking God for in all these situations, and he's applying it to this churchman, um, Philemon, it's thanking God for their faith, in Jesus, in their love for others. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think about the when Jesus has asked, what's the greatest commandment? Well, I was thinking, you know, that's that fit, uh, fits into our church motto in the beginning that we say every Sunday, right? Yeah. What, what's the purpose of you being here? That you could love God, mm-hmm. you know, and love each other and And, and the, the world. world around us yeah. through the love of Jesus Christ, right? And so... Uh, when we think of, of faith, and we've talked about this, that faith, that trust, it really is a, uh, another way to talk about that. It, it is like through the Old Testament word hesed, which is like steadfast love or loyal love, right? And so really, because faith is also an expression of faithfulness, and faithfulness is demonstrated through that loyal love, you know? And so he's thankful that they have that love for God that is, that is shown in their faith, Right, so their faith is a demonstration of their loyal love to God, and then they have their love for the saints. And so that's you have those. If, if we're to characterize how how what do we look for in any in a Christian or in a church, if we want to just sum it up easily, using Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love God and love your neighbor. Right, right. And so if if we see a love of true faith and love for Jesus Christ and trusting in Him and a love for, for one another. Then that's for for Paul. That's a sign of 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 uh, yeah. Because a if Christian, you're, if you're right? keeping the love of God, then you're going to be automatically obeying those first four commandments. If you're and if you're loving your brother, you're you're not going to be stealing from them. Right. You're not going to be jealous for his possessions or wife and, and and stuff like that. Right. And going just dropping back for one quick second, um, in verse three where it says, mm-hmm. "Grace to you and peace from God." You have a couple of of words there that jump out to me. Yeah. Um, grace, of course, we understand kind of that unmerited favor, but maybe there's more to it when he's doing the greeting to these friends of his. Yeah. So often, I mean, grace in the Greco-Roman world, grace could be a common greeting. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, and so just kind of, I'm going to be, you know, generous, kind unto you, you know, kind of a, Thing and then peace so, would also be from a Hebrew standpoint. Shalom, shalom would, is a common greeting in the in the um, Middle Eastern world. I mean, what among Jews, but also even among Arabs, they would they would say the Arabic form of, of peace when you greet right. them. They would use I think it's salim for them instead of shalom. It's pronounced same, salim. Same. Yeah, but it's that same thing. It's, it's an offer of right. of peace, right? right? But when we say when they're saying peace here. This is a different type of peace than uh, compared to a conflict from your fellow man. Like there's, um, they're not worried about whether we're in peacetime or wartime with the armies here. This is like the, this is that eternalized peace, the, the, the deep rooted joy 
type peace that you have? Yeah, so I think biblically, when we think of peace, we do think of the Hebrew shalom and then this uh, Greek word, I think it's erene, uh, which when we, if we think like the bad, Beatitudes, I think this is what, what Jesus uses in the Beatitudes with, you know, when talking about peace. And it, so it's not the absence of conflict as much as it is the presence of wellness or flourishing or I like to use the word wholeness. Mm, okay. uh, we might use the word, especially when it comes to relationships, we would use harmony. We would use the word, uh, you know, we're, we're living in harmony. Right. Right. So think of, you know, the, the 60s and, you know, the, the, the desire that everyone gets along and we all just love one another, you know, kind of a thing. Um, now, how that's accomplished in the 60s was not necessarily the right way to go about it. But the point is, is that, but that, that, that desire that we're, everything's working well with each other. So I often talk about it in terms of we're in right relationship with God, we're in right relationship with, the, with our fellow man, we're in right relationship with ourself, and we're in right relationship with, our, with the creation around us. Gotcha. Right? And so in that sense, when, when all that is in harmony, when all that is synergistically working together, that's when the created world has peace. Right. right? So in that, as it fits the definition that I was leaning towards, as you just described, uh, we could be, we could have war going on all around us, but be totally at peace with our relationship with God. And it's almost kind of like that deep sigh of moment of, of comfort that we have because of the one who is our peace, which is Christ. Yeah. Because, yeah, that, because that, ultimately what, in this greeting, of grace, of this generous, giving, um, charitable, um, undeserved favor, and this sense of this peace when all things are working rightly together, he's saying that it comes from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the source Christ. is right there, yeah, right? absolutely. That's, that's the source. And so, so that's the root of this. So when we have that, even though, like you said, the world around us can be, can be going crazy, we can still offer that um, through faith in Christ, right? Mm-hmm. We can have it ourselves and we can offer it to others. Uh, and so, so that, that's a standard, you know, greeting for Paul, right. knowing that, that really, if, if, if you want to know where that kind of life comes from, where you, where we can be full of grace and peace, it's in, it's in Jesus Christ. Right. Right. Thank you. Yep. So, uh, as we get to, in into verse six, as he says, because he's again, he's heard of their love and their faith, and that's that's the thing he's thankful for that they have that genuine right relationship with God and others. Now, does that mean that they're they're completely one hundred percent without sin or anything? No, but it, it that this is the characterization of their life that he's heard about, right? And so, and, and that he knows of uh, because they, we get the sense that he knows Philemon personally. Or in some way, or he's had some kind of personal impact on him because he calls him later, you know, I think my son. Uh, And so, um, but anyway, he says, he prays that the sharing of your faith may become effective in the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And so, again, that sharing, that's that word koinonia that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. And so we got to ask ourselves, Okay, this isn't his like verbal proclamation, although it would probably include that. Okay, but but what is um, why is he praying that their koinonia, their their fellowship, this common bond they have together, that this coming together in their faith would become effective in the full knowledge of every good thing? Well, there could be uh, several reasons why. One of them that comes to me right now is that within the body corporate of yeah. Christ, uh, we have the parts of the body that edify one another. Yeah, exactly. And, and so we are, we are the body of Christ and everything, you know, the, the, every part of the body needs each other. You know, it, you know Paul uses that example in, in Corinthians. So, so yeah, that, that, and, and so as we do that, that, that works itself out in relationships, right? So we have... Here it seems what we have in in this letter is that there's this some kind of breakage in the relationship between Onesimus and and, and Philemon, mm-hmm. okay? And there's a lot of debate on what exactly that is, and we may talk about that more next week. But here, what he's saying is is he's praying that the sharing of faith may become effective, um, and and so our faith it needs to show itself out in real life, 
we, you know, if, if we just say, I believe something, and it's not changing us, and it's not impacting our relationships. If, we, if, if Paul just said, oh, grace and peace, brother, but he didn't actually live out that grace and peace, then, you know, then we got to ask, you know, what, what's going on with it's you, It's interesting Paul, right? that a lot of this, um, when you're talking about things that relate to our understanding of who God is, the words carry more than just what you might see at first blush. And like one of the words that I'm thinking of right now is wisdom, mm-hmm. right? Some people think wisdom and they think, oh, that's just knowledge. But, right. But there's more to it. It's the wisdom of it's knowledge, but it's applied to um, God's truth yeah. and proper application of that. And that's almost what it says here when it's speaking of the, through the full on the full knowledge of every good thing, like right. that full knowledge doesn't mean that you have all the knowledge in the world, but that true knowledge. Yeah. That, yeah. And we, we, back in our Colossian series, we talked about this word because he uses it there. It's the word epigenosis. Okay. And so gnosis is just the plain knowledge. It, say that five times fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So gnosis is just like bare knowledge. It'd be like two plus two is four. Mm-hmm. That's gnosis, you know, in, in some sense. But epigenosis is this full knowledge that it's, it, which I really think it does start to relate to wisdom. You brought up wisdom. It's, it's, I, I know experientially how to use this knowledge or the impact of this knowledge. Um, and, and, and it could even be potentially even like relationships. We've, I think we've talked before about there's one thing to just know kind of the raw data about a person. You know, I could, I could uh, you know, certain things that I would know about your wife, Tanya, mm-hmm. okay, um, about how tall she is, what color hair she has, how many kids she has, she's married to you, all that kind of stuff. But but when you say you know your wife, you know her on a whole different level, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, and so that would be more that epigenosis. You you know how to make her smile. You know you know what's going to make her sad. <laughs> you know I avoid those things. <laughs> yeah, right. 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 <laughs> but but uh, that that's the you know so he wants them to become effective in the full knowledge of every good thing. That is in us for the sake of Christ. So, so what are what are these? What's every good thing that is in us? Um, and so that's interesting to think about. Is it is are we? You think he's talking just here about God's general creation of humans and and just kind of the general good that's in everything? Or do you think it it really relates to the this faith that they have in Jesus Christ and the love they have for one another? Yeah, it sure seems to be connected to that word effective that you mentioned earlier in which, you know, our knowledge of what we know of Christ that we've come to know uh, through his word and through our corporate life becomes applied in the spiritual gifts that we have because we're each gifted in various ways to edify the body, right? Whether that's to teach or to preach and, or to, uh, you know, work around on practical things. Right, right. And so if we do back up to that word effective, it's the Greek word energase, which would we could you know, potentially, probably from which we get our word energy, okay? Mm-hmm. But, but why, does it, why is it translated effective here? Well, it's, it's, the, um, it's the expression of capability, it's kind of the practical expression of, of making something capable. So, like, energy makes us capable of doing stuff. But here, that's the, the, the inner gate here is effective, active. It sometimes can be even translated powerful. Um, but here, it's, 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 it's that sense of um, putting into use what we have. And so, if we're putting to use this full knowledge um, of every good thing, it it's the transmission in the car, right? You, you have you have the you have the engine, which is the so-called you know power structure. Right. But if it's not connected through the transmission to the rear axle, yeah, it's not going to go anywhere. So that engine could have all this particular power that's right. not going anywhere, and it's wasted. So the effectiveness is yeah. how it's connected right. in an output. Yeah, and so wh- why dwell on this? Well, I think what we see here in this letter, and we'll, like, as I said, we'll get into more of the details of this next week, is Paul is applying the gospel to a relational situation. And he's saying, if you, if you believe in the gospel and you trust in Jesus Christ, 
it's going to happen, and, and he's praying that it would become effective in the way that he relates to Philemon and Onesipus, the way that they relate back to him, but more importantly, even how they relate to each other. That, that, that the application of the gospel, it becomes effective, and it's going to be a lived-out example in this letter that we're going to see. And so he's praying here that, that this faith in Jesus Christ, that they don't just make it about heaven, basically, is, what, is where I'm driving. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of times that we think the gospel's all about getting to heaven. It's, it's uh, Jesus died for me so I can get to heaven. And, and is that true? Yes. I mean, that will we get to, when we have put our faith in him, will we get to spend eternity in the new heavens and the new earth? And, but ultimately, it's, again, it's that full dwelling of God with us. You know, right. it, it's a deeper sense than just I've got fire insurance. But he's, he's wanting to say that, that, that it's not just a future-oriented thing. It's deeply effective in, in the way we live our life right now. And it's, um, he's praying that, that we become effective in, it, I think we'll see in this letter as it unfolds and as he persuades them with this application. And so um, if, if we believe in, in, in faith in Jesus Christ— and why he died, why he is the Christ, the king, the, the, the coming king who sets all things right. And if, he, if we are followers of the one who sets all things right, then he's going to be saying, we should be participating in that setting of things right right now. Now, we know that they're not going to be in fullness until that final day when he sets all things right. But in the meantime, if we believe that we're engaged to him and we're awaiting that wedding, <laughs> right, if, if we know that his kingdom has been inaugurated, it started now, but it's going to be consummated one day. If we're members of that kingdom and those citizens of heaven, then we should live with that energy, with that effective energy. You know, uh, when the gas is put in the tank, you know, and the engine started, uh, and we, if we're part of that whole thing, if we're part of those axles or what, just what you're, you know, yeah. and they, if we, it, when that transmission's kicking in, we better be moving, right? And and if we're not, then he's probably gonna he may he probably isn't gonna be saying, "Oh, I've heard of your love for Jesus and and for for one another," right? And so, so that's that's that prayer. I think we're gonna see lived out in this. And again, it's he says that is he says that 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 very stuff is in us. The full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So again, it's, it's ultimately for, for Christ and his glory and the glory of God, but it's in us. Now, he doesn't say it here, but we know how it's in us. We know from others of Paul's writings, how is it in us? It's in us by faith in Christ through the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit who now dwells in us as we are his body, we are his temple. He dwells in us. And, and so in that, we are, um, every good thing in the application of the gospel, the full knowledge of, of, of Jesus being the victorious one who's setting all things right, he's, he wants to have lived out in us. And it's there, the, 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 the capability is present mm-hmm. through faith right. in him. Uh, and so then we have in verse 7, he says, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, what we're going to see is Paul, you know, he, he persuades a lot through this relational um, dynamic that's there, rightly so, because of Christ and their, their unity in him. But he doesn't, he doesn't mind drawing upon this history and this commonality. Um, and so he, and he says it's affected him. So Philemon... And Philemon's faith and what Philemon is doing in in hosting this church in his house and leading it in some way, it's giving Paul much great comfort and joy. And just for this love that they have for one another. And and he says, and for the hearts of the saints that have been refreshed through you. And so this word refreshed here is going to come up again as well. Just like koinonia is going to come up again later on. Uh, and we're going to see that this word refreshed is going to come up later on as well. And so it's this word anapua'u, which kind of means to revive, but also can can be um, in that reviving. It's kind of like the the whole idea of even rest, right? That we we rest for the purpose of refreshment or to be recreated, right? 
And so it, it can be used for people to get relief, you know, from some kind of troil, uh, to bring even to a conclusion, but to... to um, you know, it's interesting. I don't mean to jump in, yeah. but with the very first definition that popped up when I looked at it, it says to cause to cease. And when I saw that, I was taken to Sabbath. Yeah. Um, is that a, a word that's used for Sabbath, do you know? Um, you know, I, I don't know. That, like the Septuagint or something, but anyway, yeah, I mean, no, that would be that would be an interesting. But I, I mean, the whole idea of study. Sabbath is is to, yeah. to to cease from work for refreshment. Exactly, exactly. And so I'm, I'm trying to check real quick here and see if the um, if the uh, the Greek English lexicon here references any of the Septuagint. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's. So I don't. I don't think they're translating Sabbath in that way. But I think that the general idea, what you're talking about, that there is that uh, the purpose of of being refreshed. And so, what is he saying as it relates to Philemon's role within the church? There, he says, "I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you." Mm-hmm. Um, now, ultimately, we know that, that it's, it's Jesus who provides that, but he's he's attributing this to uh, Philemon. Why, if we consider the fact that Onesimus or Onesimus has been, est- and, and Philemon are estranged, estranged from one another, um, if we take that assumption, there are some scholars who wonder, did Philemon willingly send Onesimus to Paul to aid him in some way mm-hmm. as a, as a, as his slave. You know he could have done that. It seems to be later on we're to find there's something. Even if that was the case, there's something else going on because Onesimus right. owes owes Philemon something. It seems right. <laughs> it sure seems like yeah. it. So, but what's the importance of of this refreshment? That you know, let's just think in general in life. Life lived in between the ages, um, the life lived here, you know, after the fall, life, the life of, of brokenness and sin, even for those of us who've been redeemed and know what it means to have that, that grace and peace of Jesus Christ, we still get worn down by the world, right? And, and we ourselves even are, you know, suffer the consequences of our own sin and other sins against us and all those kind of things. And so if we think about how Leaders in the church should help one another in the faith. Why? Why would this refreshment, you know, be an important element that Paul brings up? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. the The place that I went to, in my mind, on this is the circumstances of what's going on outside of their community of believers, and it's that they've got. Paul and these others in prison, mm-hmm. you know, so there would be a lot of trepidation within your framework, I would think, just knowing the reality of the fact that it's illegal to to be sharing the gospel in certain places, right? And so people are in prison, and I wonder how much of that is being made known that, you know, this is part of God's plan, uh, this is what we're called to, to not only believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. And so in that manner, maybe he's bringing some comfort to the congregation. Um, that's, that's where my mind first went. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he does want, I would think that the whole, con- he wants the whole congregation, the whole little house church here to benefit from this. Right. But I, but I think there is, you know, a question to ask at least is, you know, why Why even does Onesimus need to return to Philemon in that church? Um, it, one, one, because I think there's some reconciliation just for the sake of the gospel I know needs to take place. But is it, even, is it potentially even bigger than just the two of them? Right? Sure. You know, I, well, I think that is something to think about. I know, and there's context that's confusing to me, um, or at least as a mystery, like in verse 10, <laughs> mm-hmm. that we'll be getting to. Um, I plead with you for my child, yeah. Onesimus, who, of whom I became a father in my chains. Well, what does that mean? I mean, we, I guess we can understand that that's not meaning that he fathered a child while he was in prison, but uh, is that because Onesimus 
grabbed onto the gospel at that point, you know, in that sense? Yeah, I think most people, most scholars would say, most people believe that it, Onesimus came to faith once he reached Paul. Mm-hmm. That 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 something in, in Onesimus changed while he was with Paul. That that's when he that's when he was converted. Right. You know, and, and so I think that's. Um, yeah, so, so I mean, you them can, be, you, them, you, you, okay, for I'm them sorry. being able to share in that, I think is 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 part of it as well. But also, I think ultimately it is for them to see the impact of what that is when he returns, and to see the restoration of a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know that that they probably know was was broken in some way, right? And so there, there, I think there is something about the the public nature of this that will uh, obviously benefit and strengthen the church. Yeah, it's interesting. You can almost see a prodigal son aspect of the story. Yeah. You know, and if you, if you think, I mean, I'm not big on speculation, but if Onesimus was in some way being disciplined for something within the community and Philemon is saying, hey, you know what? I got a better idea. <laughs> <laughs> Go see Uncle Paul in prison and see what this is really about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, so th- this word refresh will come back up again in verse twenty, when he he says, um, "Yes, brother, I want I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ." And so so we see this this kind of come back that mm. that this is also becomes refreshing for uh, for Paul, right? That there's something about this. So. Uh, he he uses so he uses it twice in here, and it has to do with the the refreshment of the hearts of the saints because of Philemon's love for them. But then it's also going to be refreshing to Paul. So his so part of this whole petition is going to be an encouragement. When in essence, if Paul if it does play out the way Paul says, you know, as mm-hmm. he's confident that 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 Philemon's going to do the right thing, that uh, this that it's going to be. Uh, the fullness when when he puts into practice, right? When when Philemon's faith becomes effective in the full knowledge of every good thing for the sake of Christ, <laughs> it's going to refresh them and it's going to refresh Paul. It's it's gonna it's gonna in one sense put his heart at ease, right? You know, uh, and 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 so I think that's something that when we think about just the nature of reconciliation. And why it's so important right. to pursue it is because it is such it's one of the best pictures of the gospel. When we as as Christians can learn to forgive one another and be restored to one another, even when sometimes we don't and, and even when that can happen without there being full agreement. I think we there you can have unity without unanimity. I think we can at times agree to disagree in the Lord when we handle it right relationally. And I think that's part of the whole thing here, you know, that, that, is, that is there. That, I mean, every, in, you know, in those things, are, often those can become gray areas, and, and they have to be clearly, I mean, they usually have to be pretty clearly disputable things. I mean, we're not going to agree to disagree over the resurrection, right. <laughs> you know, um, right. but... But at the same time, I think that there is this, um, you know, in terms of, in terms of even, in, like I said, we'll get to this more next week. But even in terms of what how Onesimus needs to pay back Philemon, you know, some people say, well, no, it, okay, that's great that you want to handle that, Paul. But but really, you know, Onesimus to learn his lesson, he needs to, it needs to come from him. Well, it reminds you know? me of some of the other places in the scriptures where discipline takes place within the body, yeah. and it'll even say like. They were turned over to Satan. Right. Now, that's not talking about if you're not going to behave the way you're supposed to, that you've lost your soul and therefore yeah. you're going to Satan. But the idea is that by the discipline of casting out of the fellowship of believers, right. the hope is for reconciliation with yeah. a changed heart. And when that happens, of course, we should all rejoice. And it is not only... Um, Good for them to come back, but it's under. It is an obligation for the church to receive them. You know, if, yeah. if there's repentance shown for that, right? So, right. I think that's all part of the package that we see, and that's why it's not only. 
I guess what I was going to say is that's why it's important to have good discipline within the body because yeah. it doesn't do anybody any good if you're not addressing issues in somebody's life. I mean, because now you're letting them live a dangerous relationship within the church. Right, right. Yeah. So, again, I think the a good thing to bring up, you know, the, the goal of church discipline always is restoration. Right. And I think the the goal of what Paul is doing here is seeing is, is this restoration, it's reconciliation between them, but it's also letting that little house church be at peace again. And it's letting Paul's own heart be refreshed and be at ease again. Mm-hmm. And so, and that is that practical outworking of the gospel. And so next time we'll get into that. We'll, we'll get into talking about how Paul wants to work that out. That's right. clear, how he's, how he's willing to work it out. What the actual situation is is a little bit less clear. But what is clear is the means by which Paul is working it out and the, what he appeals to and how he himself practically and willingly says, I'm willing to go to these links to make it happen on mine. And what we actually start to see here is that it's actually is a picture of the gospel. Right. What we have here is a lived out example of the gospel uh, itself. And so, um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll get into that in more particularly next week. Okay. Before we close, my thought on this is maybe I'll ask you to explain this, but for me, like at first blush, when I read through this, one of my thrusts in reading particular scripture is to be looking and digging for doctrinal things, yeah. right? And this doesn't speak too much of black and white doctrine. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of looseness to this. There's a relational yeah. thing. And, you know, when you're dealing with doctrines of God and doctrines of grace, you, you're not supposed to be speculating right. too much, right? But you're left with some speculation here, which is maybe it's not a negative thing because it's scripture, obviously, but we're called to try to maybe work these things out so we can look for consistencies and how to relate within the body of believers or what are your thoughts on how to handle this like this right. epistle as opposed to, you know, Romans? Yeah, yeah. A couple things. One is I think we can treat this in very similar ways that we treat Romans. You know, it's it's a letter. You know, it, it's written by Paul, and there's there's some situational things going on in Rome. There's a, there's a there's a situational thing going on here. It's 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 much more narrow in scope here. Mm-hmm. It's it's shorter. It's narrow narrower. He's not necessarily explaining um, in a didactic way the gospel, but he's actually in an illustrative way. And right, so so this situation is in some ways almost serving as a parable to teach the gospel to people. And because I've even wondered, why did this book get put in the canon? What's going on here? Why is why is this little letter? You know, why was it has it been preserved for us? Well, you said parable, and I brought up the whole idea of right. the prodigal son. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so I think I think there is that, but it, but it also we see that it's directly related to Paul. Now it's also interesting, even just the parable nature of this. That uh, we didn't mention this, but Onesimus means uh, Onesimus means useful, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he actually plays on that in you know of, of the usefulness. He actually he plays on that name in his in we'll look at next week. But uh, if you know, if Philemon is this affectionate one, you know, who who is influencing through his love and his care and so forth, and Onesimus is useful, you know, how you know Paul's even using that to play on in 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 writing this letter, and it's caused some to, it's caused some you know, uh, usually in the, in the more liberal you know scholarship to wonder, oh, did Paul just make this up to teach the the ch- church in Colossae a lesson? You know, did right. he just did he just make up this thing? Um, and, and there's no reason to think that. What's what's also interesting is that um, later in church history, and not that much later, that later in church history, I think Ignatius is one of the, you know one of the early church fathers, and he writes a letter, I think, to Ephesus, and in that he mentions that the bishop of Ephesus, and this is like AD one ten. 
is a guy named Onesimus. Oh, is that right? And yeah. if you th- if, if Onesimus was a young man at this point, he could be there. He yeah. could be fifty years later. Right. He could easily be. He could now be the bishop of of Ephesus. Uh, and so uh, you know, there's uh, there's a guy. He's actually the name. His name was John Knox, not the John Knox from the Scottish Reformation, right. but uh, a guy in, in uh, some doctor. You know, right. in in the 1930s, he wrote. A, he actually wrote a. He he has this whole. A proposal that, that he he thinks that Ignatius this is the same Onesimus and and based on that he you know he says that you know he's more in the line that Onesimus was you know sent to Paul and there wasn't this big relate he this he was more just a servant and it's it's just an interesting gotcha. thing but the point is is that as we think about the nature of this book and all the speculation that one can get into with it I think there's there's a there's a huge caution is that whenever we teach something, we shouldn't have a fundamental truth that is based on a speculation, mm-hmm. right? Right. But on the other hand, there when there is this kind of almost this dramatic scene that is taking place here, if we allow our imagination to kind of get into the relational situation and let it do some of its work, it can be helpful. To potentially draw out some of these things that that Paul's doing, and so uh, now again we need to be very careful not to make that the fundamental basis. No, we need to let the word and the text do its work, but at the same time we need to kind of let our imagination say, "What was slavery like back then? What kind of what what is this you know, thing that's going on with with Onesimus and and how how why is why does Paul use some of these terms? What could be going on here?" And I think that the, that can be, be very helpful to let us meditate on this, right? right. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we'll 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 get into that more in, in next week, and we'll see uh, what kind of why I wanted to stop even you know there at, at verse seven is because of those verses six and seven that I really think that this prayer of uh, this this practical outworking of this full knowledge that's going to lead to this refreshment. That, that is there, that that in some senses is, is uh, kind of almost like a working thesis for us as we see this play out yeah. uh, in this. And it, it really gets played out by Paul uh, in, in, in some ways. What we'll see is he, the practical outworking of his faith in Jesus Christ for him is like, okay, I'm going to try. I can't pay for any man's sins ultimately for God, but can I step into this situation in a Christ-like way. And I think that's what we see him do. And so it's really pretty cool as we investigate that next week. Join us next time as we continue looking into the intricacies of Paul's letter to Philemon. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production. Connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.